Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. This is episode 33. My name is Kyle Krieger and I've got my super duper and wonderful friend and former roommate Susan Thompson on the podcast. Susan, how's it going? Hi, it's going really well. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm going to let you tell the story about how it happened that we became roommates. <laughs> okay, so my junior year of college, um, I was looking for a, a student teaching experience that would take me out of Ohio. Um, I double majored in college, so I had to student teach twice. I student taught once with a special education licensure and then once with general education. So because I was doing it twice, I really wanted one to be unique or out of Ohio. And um, Bowling Green had a program with uh, the Aldine Independent School District in Houston, Texas. And I applied. I got accepted. And they were like, okay, um, now you have to find a place to live on your own. I was like, woo. So I started emailing around. And um, Raul who was one of the like liaisons between the school and the program and everything, sent me your info, and I creeped on you on Facebook. And yes. Moved into your house a couple weeks later. Yeah, that was super funny because I had told him that, you know, I owned a house. And I was just like, you know, if you have student teachers, because they're always asking if people want to put up student teachers or whatever. So, you know, and it was so funny because – like, I, I said this about you before, like, it was the random roommate lottery. Like, we had so much yeah. fun, and it was, su it was such a good time, and, like... Oh, yeah, you know, taking you me to CrossFit. Yeah, yeah, we went out to some country <laughs> bars. Um, yep, I remember, tacos. Yep, we had a lot of tacos. We had a lot of tacos. I do remember the one Definitely. time you went out and left your keys and had to call me late at night to come <laughs> open the door. That was fun, but... Yeah, woke no. you up a little bit. Yeah, and, it, <laughs> and it's so funny because I like it's been two years now since then. It seems like that's so crazy. It was so long ago. I don't yeah. believe that. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's crazy. So all right, so we're gonna start you off with our our favorite question, and this is the question we oh, have to gosh. start with: is uh, tell me about your favorite teacher and why that person was your favorite teacher. My favorite teacher, um. My favorite teacher was my second grade teacher, actually. Um, <laughs> when I was in second grade, I had two teachers. Um, they co-taught, and one of them always, like, kind of seemed to deal with the gifted kids. And even when you're in second grade, you know, like, which teacher, like, which group you're in. You have an idea, you know. And I was always with the gifted teacher, um, except when it came to reading, my reading group, because I just was, it took me a little while to get my fluency up. I was just a little slow at reading. So I was in the lower group with this teacher. And even though I knew I was in the lower group, she never let me like skip a beat. I never felt like too down on myself. She was so energetic and like always so uplifting and happy and like, she always would just hug you or she's the kind of teacher that if you did something that you hadn't done yet, she would just like throw her arms up in the air and just like wail because she was so proud of you. And that always stuck with me. And even through high school, I kept in touch with her. And, and now that I'm a teacher, I reach out to her sometimes when I feel a little unsure about what to do. And she's always been there. 
Awesome. Great what's what's her name? Um, Miss Reedlinger. That's a great name <laughs> for a teacher. That's awesome. So, all right. I know. So we so we talked a little bit about the backstory of how we met. So what? Because you, after you student taught in Houston, you had to go back to school, right? Yes, I went back to Ohio for my senior year, and I student taught again in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, that experience was um, very unique. I was in, um, it was like urban area of Ohio. Um, the poverty rate at my school was pretty high, which was actually similar to my experience in Houston. But I was working with older kids in Toledo. I actually had a pretty wide grade span. I worked with kids in first through fourth grade. Um, I was an intervention specialist. And I really got to know I, a lot about like the progression of curriculum in the elementary school and like differentiating my instruction and all of that. <laughs> I learned a lot that year. Definitely. Awesome. And then where you, we were talking about a little bit before we started recording. So explain where you're at now and, and what it is that you do. So I now live in Brooklyn, New York. And I teach at a private school in Manhattan. Um, the school has Judaic curriculum as well. It's called Preschool of the Arts. Um, so I co-teach. Um, my students are very well off. So it's a little bit unusual for me uh, at first. Um, like they pay tuition to go to preschool. Um, that's fairly high. My school is also uh, Reggio-inspired, so it's kind of like Montessori, where um, the environment is the third teacher. So I set up the classroom in a very particular way. So as like the materials I put out or where I um, place a certain thing in the classroom or the way I space things um, can kind of help the student get to what I want them to learn on their own and then they're doing it with their own intuition rather than a kind of a forced hand right okay so is is that what Reggio is because you were kind of trying to explain it to me and I to be honest I'd never heard of it so is there more to like the Reggio method that I don't know um probably honestly there's probably more to the Reggio method that I don't even know um, but the way I understand it and the way I use it in my classroom and at, even at my school um, it's very, um, it's a, it's a mesh between direct instruction and then, um, kind of allowing the child to be creative and explore and come to certain things on their own. Uh, it's also very child centered and a lot of the time I am finding in this Reggio instruction that because it's so child centered, a unit that I plan could take a week and the kids could be like, okay, we're done with this. We know all we want to know about, you know, winter or they could, it could be, we just did like a uh, building. They love all, cause I'm in New York city. They're fascinated by the different skyscrapers and the architecture of like the new buildings going up compared to the old ones. And we were on that for almost a, a month and a half. So I'm really able to stretch or change the length of things 
because it's so child-centered. But it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. Because sometimes after after a while, you get tired of talking about the Empire State Building and the Freedom Tower. Right. So it's so it sounds that it's very different than you know what you probably had in Houston or what you had in Ohio or what I have in Wisconsin, where it's a very regimented what you have to teach and what timeline. And I guess I don't know anything about like pre-K or or 4K mm-hmm. or whatever everybody calls it, but. It still seems like just in general, that seems like a a way that you don't have to. So there's not a set like of of information you have to go over in your class. Um, not technically, no. And part of that is because my school is a private school. Um, it would look a little bit different if it was a public school, but, um, uh, a big thing with it also being Reggio is that, like I said, it's child-centered, so it's um, way looser. And I'm finding, um, you know, as I move on in my teaching career, I think this experience is going to be beneficial to me as a teacher because I am a product of public school. I did student teach in public schools. So, like most of my experience up until now has been teaching in a public school, learning in a public school. So putting myself on this completely other side where it's a lot more free-flowing is going to impact my teaching for the better, definitely. And I'm going to, I think, eventually, I hope to morph the two to create this really beautiful, happy balance where I can nurture all my students' curiosity but also be like, hey, okay, well, the test is coming up, so let's go. All right, so so another question we want to ask, and maybe you don't have this, but do you have like a what you would consider a teaching philosophy or kind of what you believe about education or your role in it? Um, the first thing that always comes to my mind when I get asked about my teaching philosophy is that I believe no matter what, every student can be a successful learner doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter what's happened in their life or if they have any kind of disability. Um, I think that I full-heartedly believe every student can be a successful learner and it's my job to figure out how um, and kind of also work with the student. I also really, uh, another huge part of my teaching philosophy is that whoever's doing the work is doing the learning. So when I'm planning, I plan a lot of hands-on, a lot of like, here it is, figure it out. Like if a kid comes to me and asks me the first time they ask me a question, there is no way I'm going to answer it. Like, and they know that now in my class and it's been beautiful to see, like when you don't coddle them in that way, like the amazing things that they can and will do on their own because they know Yes, eventually I will help you, of course. I'm your teacher, you know, but I'm not doing it the first time, that's for sure. Like, you got to work. Right, right. So, and you you grew up outside Columbus, like a suburb of Columbus, right? Yes, yeah. Delaware. It's about 25 minutes north of Columbus. So do you know a lot of um, public school teachers in the city? I I. Oh, in New York City? Yeah. I do not. Hmm. There are a lot of them, but oh, I yeah. only I only know a few. 
And but, I wouldn't say I have a, a strong personal relationship with it. Okay. Because I just kind of, you know, knowing you're at, at a private school, I just would be interested to hear what, it, you know, if you knew what the public school in New York is like. Because I'm sure, you know, and that's one of the things I've learned coming back home is what I'm doing here is not any different than what I was doing down in Houston. And, and the system and, and the parameters and all that is is virtually identical. So, um just real quick, want to get your take on like, what what do you think the state of, and I'm, I'm not going to say your private school because you've kind of told me a lot about your private schools. So I think it's maybe an outlier, but what do you think the state of like our educational system is right now? <sighs> I, I, <laughs> it's such an interesting question. Um, I, I think it's a little sad. <laughs> um, I think teachers are overworked and underpaid, which a lot of people, I mean, uh, that's the first thing that anybody would probably say that's on the inside. Um, but I think also that the way like our, our education system is centered so much right now around testing, testing, testing. And I understand that they use it to like we need the results to prove that there's growth and once you get the results if you have this good of results or you have this number or whatever like oh then we'll give you more money because you're using the money right and it's obviously working and it's all connected in in a really kind of funky way um but when think about it like obviously i've thought about this issue before this is not my first um time to think about it but it's really hard to think of what a solution could be at this point because <laughs> I feel like we're so far in a hole and we have a very like some leaders with very narrow ideas and um, maybe mindsets and I think we need to open it up and I, I think our education system is too similar like we've been doing the same things too many times over and over and we're trying to be more progressive about certain things and like especially in the special education world we're trying to let students um stay with their normal developing peers and all this kind of thing but we're not helping or teaching teachers how to accommodate that in their classroom so we're like yeah take this this is progressive do this change this but then the support and the guidance is not really there I think. Do you feel like you have a lot of support in your teaching position? Yes. Where I currently am, I have a, I have a lot of support. If I mean, I can open my classroom door and say two words and someone will be there. <laughs> and and do you have like a good do you have people that you, I know you co-teach, but do you collaborate a lot with other teachers in your school or is it just you and your co-teacher? Um, we do collaborate, but um, we have a lot of varying ages at my school. So, and when, when they're in preschool, like I teach pre-kindergarten, so they're the oldest kids in the school. But my school also has students that are like toddlers. But they stay the whole day, they, they go through school, they're learning just like anyone else. But when they're so young, the difference between a, th a three-year-old and a five-year-old 
is like monumental. Oh yeah. In vocabulary and like fine motor, gross motor skills and just communication, everything is so different. So um, while we do talk about certain like ideas and concepts and things like that, it's really just comes down to my co-teacher and I figuring out what works best for our room. And sometimes that's a little bit frustrating because you almost feel like it's a waste of time that you're forced to go to these collaborative meetings where you all talk about things that you have to change for your own room anyway. And then you have to go back and have your own separate meeting about how you're going to change that to actually work you. So. Yeah, I kind of feel there because me and my teaching partner are a separate, we're a separate entity within the high school. So, you know, we'll go to a lot of meetings, but then we always kind of have to come back and collaborate and plan, you know, because we keep our same kids for four periods of the seven. So, you know, and our kids have a very kind of unique need set and they have very kind of unique parameters that we get to get to keep them under. But I, I, I do feel you there. And that's, gosh, one of the. Going from eighth, teaching 7th and 8th grade and then teaching 6th grade and now coming up and having high schoolers is just, oh, I love the high schoolers. It's so nice to be able to have like pseudo adult conversations and actually like real adult conversations with a lot of them. It's been super fun, but I, I do feel like we're kind of, to some degree, I like being on an island because we you know have our autonomy, but then on the same token, it's hard when you're not really a part of like any real other group other than that. So I feel you there. So what's, what's the hardest thing about your first year teacher? What's, what's been the hard, the hardest, the hardest thing. Um, do you want to know about like in terms of teaching in general or in terms of my school environment experience? Either whatever you think has been some the, the some of the challenges you face this year. Okay. Um, well, one of the things that I've really been like trying to get more comfortable with is my communication with parents because I am a very like open person. I am very like vocal with the parents. The second I see something going on, like I'm failing or I'm like saying, Hey, let's just have a quick chat for 10 minutes after school. I've no I've been noticing this, you know, and uh, it's hard to get the parents to care about what you're saying a lot of the time. And it's interesting because I didn't expect this in my particular situation because I do have students who are very well off. And in the past, I had students who were not and their parents couldn't necessarily come in because they had to go to work or, you know, they had excuses, but they were solid things that made sense for their life. And um, I'm not saying that my parents now, like their reasons for not being able to communicate openly aren't valid um but it's it's a different conversation when you're talking with a parent versus a nanny um so i guess just figuring out the parent i, I don't i don't mean to laugh that you said <laughs> having to talk with the nanny but that's cool. oh no it's you know people when i talk about my job a lot of people think oh she works at like this fancy schmancy private school in manhattan like her life is so easy blah 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 but you know 
each side of the spectrum's got their own set of problems, and yeah, the, yeah, and the grass is not always greener. And um, I mean, I have I have five year olds who miss their parents because they barely see them, and they're I I have students. It is March, and I have at least four parents that I have never met. And like that's disturbing to me that I spend hours every single week teaching their five year old and they don't want to know who I am. How many kids do you have in your class? Oh, this is gonna blow your mind. <laughs> oh man. I have eleven students per two with two teachers. Eleven students. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and, and that's, I'm, I'm guilty of having that kind of, um, stereotype with you. And it just shows like that there are kids, if we're talking about just about kids, there are kids going through hard times, no matter where you are, whether you're in Brooklyn or you're in Houston or you're in Cumberland, Wisconsin or Columbus, or you're in, you know, New Richmond where I am, which is, you know, a well-to-do smaller town, like, most of the kids are doing pretty yeah. well. Most of the kids have p parents in the picture. It's just crazy that they still all are going through hard times, though. I agree. And, you know, something I I want to speak to, I want to, like, tell you a little bit about. Um, in the Manhattan private school realm, um, after preschool, I've learned there's this stage called kindergarten university and it's where all of your preschool students parents freak out and think that their student is not their their child is not going to get into a good enough private school and so these parents apply to 9 10 15 private schools but when you apply you have to get the teacher, me, to fill out a progress report for your student. And um, sometimes I would get phone calls from these schools asking to interview me on the phone in the middle of my school day. And then my poor students have to go to an interview. And they're, they're five. And they, they, their parents dress them up. And they go on these interviews and they're asked questions. And actually, I, I, um, they're multiple rounds usually. These students will go more than once to, to the same school. I open my classroom to people from these schools who want to come observe them in my classroom. And this is for kindergarten, to get into kindergarten. So it's, it's a lot of pressure very early on on my students. Um, I have it's it's really it's really intense, but I do have a student um, who just because of his life experiences, he's he's very bright. His language, like his vocabulary, I would say was better than some fourth graders I've worked with. Like he is, and he's five. He's so so bright, and his parents know, and. Um, they, uh, tried to get him into this really, really prestigious school in Manhattan 
And um, to get into the school, the student has to score a certain, you know, number on a standardized test. So my student was coming in knowing that later after school, we're going to go take these tests. And he was so stressed and he would just have like a really off day at school, trouble listening. He would have tantrums and it was a really hard period of time, but he ended up scoring super well, um, made it through four rounds of interviews with this school and um, he got accepted to this private school in Manhattan that each year accepts 25 boys and 25 girls. That's it. Um, but basically, once you get in, you're set for life. I mean, these students are graduating and their ticket to Yale, Harvard, Cornell is signed off long ago. Um, but the, the parents play a big role in um, those. They, I mean, the parents decide where their kid will go. The kid doesn't have input. So I think that they get set up sometimes to have really like stressful school experiences and things. So that's, that's crazy to me. It's, that's a world that I don't know anything about. I can't even fathom. I mean, like I know that exists, but I can't even fathom. And you know, it's so strange to me because, you know, I've seen documentaries like waiting for Superman, like how, how far away will you have like kids who are trying to get into lotteries to get into charter schools and stuff like that? I mean, are, are there, is there that environment close to you as well? Yes. It's actually one of my favorite things. So I live with uh, my boyfriend, Mark and he is out of a charter school in South Brooklyn that has a lottery system. So comparing our experiences, like we're both products of public school. So, and like you said, it's pretty much the same, no matter where you go, the beast is not too different um, with public school. So we both know how the public school really works. And then he's experiencing charter and I'm experiencing, um, private and being able to compare our experiences is like mind-blowing I mean he'll have kids flipping desks and you know cussing and walking out and coming late and just you know I mean he's also in high school so that's a big difference but right. our it's it's very very fascinating comparing the, the um, private and charter worlds all right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask you just a few general questions that we'll, we'll end with because I know you got stuff going on and you got a, you're an hour ahead of me here in Wisconsin, you out on the East Coast people. All right. So let me pick one of my favorite ones. All right. So okay. what, what are you most passionate about, right? Or what is something you're very passionate about right now besides teaching? I from teaching something I'm very passionate about. Um, I guess... <laughs> Uh, I, I love exercise and like positive mindsets in terms of like mental health. Um, so I'm just with everything going on in this crazy world that we're in. Um, I'm really passionate about like my mental space and um, giving myself time in the day, uh, like exercise wise and listening to my body and I know you said aside from teaching, but I think that that makes me a better teacher because I take time in my day for myself. And I think a lot of teachers say, how do you do that? You're, I'm so exhausted when I get home. And I always just think when I get home, even I am exhausted too, but I'm exhausted from doing things the entire day for everyone else. It, 
I do things for everyone else. And I say, you know what? I'm doing this for myself for one hour or whatever, how long it is. Like I go and I love to exercise. It's like my, my sanctuary, my sanity. So I'm yeah, passionate about that's, that. That's awesome. Because my next question was going to be like, how do you find your center? So, so what are some of those things you do to kind of recharge and help yourself kind of stay um, in the right mindset? you know, day to day. Cause I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Like I get up, I'm, I'm at the gym 5am every day before school starts. Cause I, I can feel it on the days I'm not. And I just, it's such an important part of my life. So what are some of the other things you're, or specific things you were doing? Cause I think a lot of teachers would like to know, you know, what are some of the things they can do to kind of find that balance and, you know, take time to themselves. Um, I really try to leave my work at work. Um, I think that helps me a lot. It helped me, you know, I, I'm just a first year teacher now officially and I don't, I love what I do and I have no plans of getting burnt out. So, um, one thing I really do is I, I, when I leave, I leave and like, yes, something might pop up or like if I've had a stressful day, I talk about it once I'm home. But I, I really try to just not drag that with me everywhere. And then I also, I, I value my social life. I do things I enjoy. And, like, I work hard during the week and teaching. And at the end of the day, like, yes, teaching is so much. But, like, that's my job. Like, that's what I get paid to do. And... I'm going to use the money that I make to do things that make me happy. I'm going to go to a concert. I'm going to take myself out to dinner. I'm going to, you know, go shopping. Like, I, I don't, like, really let myself feel guilty or get too much in my head about money, I think. And, like, letting myself enjoy my life right. helps. Right. All right. So then I got a couple more questions. I'm trying to... Okay. All right, what was, what's the best advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? Oh, gosh. The best advice I've ever been given and who gave it to me? Oh, that's hard. Um, I guess there's not really a, like a one like quote that stands out. Um, but one thing I really just learned from my dad and the way that he lives life is you got to roll with it, roll with the punches. You got to go with the flow because nothing, like you can't plan things. If you do, it's not going to go the way you plan. So you just, you have to be flexible. You got to be able to roll with it. And I like think that's something that is a big part of my personality maybe because he's raised me but mm. I think that's super important and I love that I am able to do that and I think like you have to just go with the flow I tell my students that all the time I make them like make waves with their arms go yeah with the flow. and I haven't you know speaking of your dad I still have not forgotten that the little oh, the yeah. little brown jug is on my list of things I got to do someday Yes, you need to the harness horse race in Ohio. <laughs> no, I'm I'm doing it. I am I'm I don't know if it's going to be this fall, but it's going to be in the next couple of years. I t I told your dad I would come, and I'm and I'm September. September. Yes. All right. So last last question, and I'll let you go here. Um, what what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy. Uh. I want to, hmm, 
my legacy, that I was uh, a happy person, that I was energetic, and that I could, like, spread energy, like, in a positive way. I could give other people positivity and positive energy and, like, a little a boost. I, mm-hmm. I want that to be my thing. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. For being your roommate for five months, you're definitely that person. So, um Thank I you. super duper appreciate your time and your uh, story about your first year teaching. And I, I'm thinking that maybe like we got to line up Mark sometime and get the two of you on together and you can kind of compare the experiences of what you're going through. Because I'm, now I'm super interested to hear about what, what Mark's life is like in a New oh, York yeah. charter, you, charter He school. will definitely have some stories for you. <laughs> He definitely does. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up the podcast on that. Susan, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yep. This has been episode 33 of the LED Project Podcast.